This episode of Campus features mature language. Some scenes may be disturbing. I'm walking out of my apartment and residence, and I'm walking down the hallway, and I can feel the alcohol and the pills kicking in, and my arm is bleeding. My white button-up is completely soaked in blood. Thankfully, nobody is out on the street. I'm all alone. I don't have any shoes on, and as I'm walking, it gets colder and colder, and I feel my body getting more and more heavy by the second. And as I clutch my right arm towards me, I feel how damp it is and how much it hurts. I feel myself getting close to fading. So I lie on my back. I feel my life just drifting away. And all I can see in front of me is the stars in the sky. And it's peaceful. And although I'm in so much pain in this moment, I feel like I'm finally getting what I want and what I deserve. My name is Roddy James Rodriguez, and during my first week on campus, I decided to give up on life. Hey, I'm Albert. Welcome to campus. This is that place and time in our lives where everything changes. Roddy James Rodriguez is just one of the hundreds of students on campus who give up on life each year and attempt suicide. The mental health crisis isn't new, and it isn't going away. And while schools are scrambling to beef up their support staff and resources, the reality is the system is failing students. Roddy's struggle with depression is rooted in years of neglect, abandonment, and self-hate. You see, throughout his entire life, he was failed by pretty much everyone. His schools, his community, and even his own family. With my father... He comes from a family where they didn't really talk that much. And if you had some sort of problem or like a lot of feelings, you would either have to hide it or sort of pray the feelings away. I guess in that day and age, that's all he ever knew. And every time I wanted something or I wanted to do something, I would get this nervous feeling when it came to approaching him. So there was a lot of fear there. And there was never like an intense connection that I had with him compared to what I saw in the relationship he had with my brother, where they would always talk about sports, they would play sports, things like that. It, it was sort of hard to connect with him. I, I think I just always saw him as a very angry person, and he didn't smile or <laughs> laugh that much. To be perfectly honest, I don't think I have many happy memories with my dad. When I was around uh, eight years old, we, we went to the toy store once. 
and um, my dad was like, okay, you and your brother can go pick out some toys that you want. My brother went for like a remote control car and I got like a cooking set. <laughs> and uh, my dad sort of looked at the cooking set and he's like, are you sure you really want that? And I was like, yeah, I do actually. So once we were cashed out and everything, I was like, oh, I, I need to go to the washroom. I'll be right back. And when I got back, he ended up returning the cooking set because I think he just felt uncomfortable with the fact that I was buying something that involved uh, femininity. And I remember one time there was this day where I just decided to sneak into my mom's room and play with her makeup because uh, it looked cool to me. My mom walked in and she was like, what are you doing? Uh, take that off. And like, I had to be showered to just get rid of everything on my face. And when my dad got home, they started talking and they sort of came in the room and they were like, I think you need to get hit with a belt. There would be a point where I would have to be crying so much and screaming so much for it to stop. I guess a memory that strikes me very deep is uh, one time as I was getting ready to go to school, I just take out this chapstick. It's like in a yellow container, but it was like strawberry flavored. And I was just saying goodbye to my parents and my dad just took a look at it and he's just like, this is what you're using. Like, this is for girls. Like, you shouldn't be using this. And he took the chapstick, took his hammer, and he just proceeded to smash it right in front of me. And I I was just watching him and crying the entire time, n- not really sure on like how to feel or react almost. It was just this very intense sadness and almost confusion. As a kid, Roddy couldn't figure out why his father had so much anger towards him. But as he got older, things became more clear. His dad was doing everything in his power to crush any notion that his son might be gay. But Roddy desperately wanted his dad's acceptance, so he internalized these moments and tried really hard to change. I would work out a lot, play basketball, or, like, really, really trying to get into sports. I think at some point, like, I shaved my head. I would, like, wear, like, really, like, oversized clothes. And then that's when my dad noticed, like, me trying to be masculine. And I think I I sort of felt like I fit in in the family almost or I I fit in to the image she had for me Um, it was pleasant but in a way it also felt very fake I don't know there was this immense feeling of guilt and almost sadness because I, I had to like change what I really wanted and I felt like I was just appeasing my dad but it was it was just a blatant lie that I was, like, saying to his face. 
I guess I just couldn't take the secrecy anymore. Like there was no use in hiding it. So coming out was to finally feel like I could be normal in my own home and not have to uh, change so much about me every time I come home. So the moment I saw my dad's car like uh, roll into the driveway, uh, that's when like the nerves started hitting. But I figured like at this point I, I can't really back down or anything. Like I, I still have to stay strong throughout this entire process. So I hear him come through the door, and as he was sort of like putting his coat away and everything, he just sort of looked at me. And because I couldn't really stand the silence, I was like, so I'm, I'm gay. And he just ended up sighing to himself. He asked like, okay, so this is your choice to be gay now. And I was like, no, it's actually not a choice to be gay. And he's just like, have you tried like, praying or just like not thinking about it or just like don't indulge in the fact that like you're gay because like it's essentially going to ruin your life his tone throughout the entire conversation was a mix of uh anger and almost disappointment i would say because uh it it looked like in his eyes that like he he failed himself and the anger was the fact that he he just didn't want me to be gay at all and he didn't really want to discuss it anymore so after coming out and everything every time i would try and meet eyes with them they would sort of go into their own rooms and not really talk to me i guess every image that they ever had of me was basically shattered and I think I distinctly remember one time where I tried to speak to them and the tone of their voices was so almost like I just didn't have any feeling in it. So I, I didn't even bother talking to them after that. I, I've definitely felt like a stranger in my own home. It was hiding under the surface for years. But now that Roddy was out, so too was his parents' resentment and disappointment. If there was any comfort in his home, it was gone. And Roddy did everything he could to avoid it. He started trying to explore the gay community, socializing, and hitting up bars as an underage teen. And while he didn't have trouble making new friends, it didn't take long before he felt that sense of rejection once again. I would just like go to a bunch of gay bars and like try to socialize there. And I remember speaking to this one person in a bar and uh, we were having like a great conversation. Uh, we were buying each other drinks and it seemed like it was going really, really well. I think we were just like uh, skirting around the fact that like we were gonna hook up. And then his response was just like, I just don't think it's gonna happen because I'm not really that interested in you. He just mentioned that he wasn't really interested in like um, having sex with an Asian person or dating someone because he found a white masculine man to be more appealing and attractive. 
you're already trying to accept a part of you that doesn't fit in and now there's like a part of me that like I never even considered to be a factor. Like I figured it was just as simple as like, oh, you like men, I like men, we can probably get along. Even like on uh, the gay dating app Grinder and like online chat rooms and whatnot, people who were gay, they were more interested in like masculine looking gay people and all these terms about like, uh, mask for mask, which is essentially like a masculine person looking for a masculine person, or like people will have it as like the tagline to their profile. And it was a little bit scary and confusing. And because it's like you're already striving for so much acceptance in like your family life. And then you hear and see about this community where like everybody's like welcoming and happy to see you, but you're just not that base standard of what people imagine a queer person to be like. I, I definitely felt like I, I had nowhere to go because I felt as if something was intrinsically wrong with me. I felt like I was always cursed with this uh, feeling of never being enough and never fitting in. It was just like this reality that I, I found like super de depressing. I feel like a piece of shit and I feel worthless. I felt that like I don't deserve to feel better and no one's home. I sort of just take a look at the scissors and take a look at my wrist and I grab the scissors and essentially start hacking away at my wrists although it, it was a little bit painful because it was my first time all I feel is this sense of distorted relief and all I could think of in my head was I'm completely fucked up that I, I'm doing this and I keep cutting myself because with what I was feeling, I felt like it was already making an impact on my life that I might as well make it physical and really see the results of my pain. And compared to the pain of rejection and self-hatred, cutting seemed like nothing in comparison. So that essentially became like uh, my, my coping mechanism. From cutting myself, I could always kill myself in the end because I'm already digging this hole into self-destruction and it's getting deeper and deeper. I feel like I'm essentially creating like this exit strategy for myself and that it was comforting to know that I, I had that escape. After years of self-hate, Roddy was now punishing himself. It was a desperate cry for help, but for months, no one was there for him. At some point during class in high school, a teacher spotted the cuts on his wrist. After Roddy told his parents, they made the choice to put school on hold for a year and start seeing a psychologist. It took a while, but slowly, things started turning for the better, and Roddy was ready for a fresh start. 
So when I first started university, uh, I was definitely on a better path to uh, healing. I was committed to going to uh, therapy once a week, and um, I was really proud of like the achievements that I was making in regards to my mental health. I definitely wasn't cutting anymore. So when it came time to move into my residence and sign up for like frosh activities, it seemed like the most exciting time in my life because it felt like things were finally changing and things just felt different for me for once in the sense that I wouldn't have to be so hopeless and lonely all the time and uh, the possibility of like making new friends and it felt really really wild to feel happy for once because um, when you're sad for so long like the moment you feel something is going well you almost start to become like a little bit careful at how nice everything is going but I decided to go full force and uh, just jump into that pool of um, excitement and optimism everything was perfect to me at that point. For the first time in his life, Roddy was content and happy. He was ready to meet friends, live life, and have fun. So he jumped into Frosh Week full force, and on the second night, he hit it off with someone at a bar. But later that evening, when things started getting intimate, the tone completely changed when his date noticed the scars on his arm. We're laying in bed, and... Uh, he grabs my arm and he's just like, you know, you're doing it wrong, right? And he was just like, that just proves you're weak then. Like, you can't even, like, cut yourself properly. And I was like, okay, that's a really awful thing to say. And that's when I decide to leave his apartment. And he starts yelling at me and he's just like, I hope you end up learning how to cut yourself. And I got home and I decided, you know what, I'm genuinely done with all of this and I just decide to down all of my medication with all of the alcohol I had in my room and to make sure it was like a surefire way to kill myself I also ended up cutting myself uh, quote unquote like the proper way I'm walking out of my apartment and residence and my white button up is completely soaked in blood. I feel myself getting close to fading. So I lie on my back. I feel my life just drifting away and all I can see in front of me is the stars in the sky and it's peaceful and although I'm in so much pain, in this moment, I feel like I'm finally getting what I want and what I deserve. I wake up in an ambulance and I can feel the bumpy road underneath my back and I can feel hands prodding at my chest and opening my mouth and all I hear is this loud voice asking what I've consumed, what happened to me, and what my name is. And I fade in and out of consciousness. 
Next thing I know, I wake up, and it's morning. I open my eyes and try to see clearly, and one of the nurses walks in, and she bursts out crying, and she says, we almost lost you. And all I could think to say was, I wish you did. It took days before Roddy could even begin recovering from his wounds, both physically and mentally. But he did eventually find some peace after spending time in the hospital's psychiatric ward. And when Roddy was finally released from the hospital, he wanted to regain some sense of normalcy in his life. So he went straight back to school, to a community where he felt safe. But when he stepped back on campus, he was blindsided. The moment I get back into residence, I get a call, and it is the head of the college, and he says, okay, we're having a meeting in 30 minutes. And I wasn't really sure what was happening. And by the time I get downstairs, my parents are also there, the student life person, the head of the college, and head of res. And essentially, they give me this letter that informs me that I have three days to leave the residence because um, I'm a danger to myself and everybody in the residence and that like most of my frosh leaders who knew about what happened were completely disturbed and it was shocking for them and I was like okay so your solution is to kick me out of residence then like that's the solution and he's just like I think that's the best decision for everybody I essentially felt like this disease to everybody that, like, needed to be removed from the university. I was a liability. And although I wanted to fight back, I realized there's nothing I could do at that point. Roddy was forced to find another place and live off campus for the rest of the school year. The following September, he was accepted into a different residence on campus. But after a few months, Roddy was given a frightening reminder of his past. So it was the week of exams and I woke up to like knocking on the door beside me and there was like a lot of yelling and I hear something about like a suicide attempt and that he killed himself and I open my door to see like police, the ambulance, the head of that residence and it all felt uh, disturbing to me and it felt like I was reliving everything that happened to me except from like an outsider perspective. A week following that, we had like a floor meeting and it wasn't brought up that he had killed himself or committed suicide. They were just like, we don't know what happened to him. And if you want to like talk to like a therapist or something like that, we have those options for you. If you need to like be excused from like an exam, let us know. And a week after that, nothing was ever brought up ever again. Just the fact that everything kept going and it just seems wrong to me to have this institution sort of just use students as money bags and the moment they become like a legal liability then they would get completely thrown under the rug and I was just hearing all these awful things about the university stories about people being sexually assaulted the suicides the problems with mental illness like the way things are dealt with on a day-to-day basis like it seemed like nobody in a higher position was doing anything and it had happened like so many freaking times and because they did absolutely nothing 
that's when I thought, okay, I can't be in this institution anymore. Nothing is going to change. And I just went on the website and decided to drop out. Every single step along the way, Roddy was let down. His parents abandoned him. The gay community alienated him. The university kicked him out of residence. And in the end, because no one truly cared about him, Roddy nearly lost his life. But now, after all the adversity, Roddy has a newfound strength, and it's allowing him to take better control of his mental health, and ultimately, live life. Living with depression is something that will never really go away, and um, something to help you survive or cope with it is really accepting that things are always going to be a mix of great and absolutely awful. And I think that's what a lot of people are missing in their lives. They're looking for happiness as if it's like this gold coin that you find one day in your journey and everything is better. But um, obviously that can't be the case. I've learned that we're definitely a lot more resilient than we'd like to admit. I've always seen myself as someone who's like very weak emotionally because like I'm easily uh, affected by things. But um, what I've learned is that we're capable of like withstanding a lot more than we think. And I hope anybody listening to my story, whether it be someone who knows somebody who's struggling with mental illness or if you actually are struggling with mental illness, is that the dialogue is definitely what keeps me alive and happy on a day-to-day basis because in talking about it, you finally address the situation, but also, in a sense, you can make a connection with someone that way. A lot of what we feel is, like, very universal, so even if we don't truly understand what somebody's going through, because maybe we never will, there are parts of it where we can relate and sympathize and it's really important to realize who is there for you and opening up to them will definitely help a lot and I wouldn't say the idea of suicide or self-harm doesn't go through my head from time to time but um, when it comes to reliving like these tough parts of my life what I really need to do is uh, sort of reflect on all of it, see how far I've come, what I've sort of been neglecting, and open my eyes and not be so fixated on the bad things. Campus is produced by Eric Van and me, Albert Lerm. The senior producer is Sean Brocklehurst. If you want to hear more life-changing stories on campus, download our podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Give us a shout on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at CampusCBC. Thanks for listening, and have a great summer. Take care.